Hello, and welcome to The Point Being, a weekly podcast with all your need-to-know updates on what is happening in the world of opinion polling. I'm Kate Morris, a data journalist at Ipsos, and I'm joined by my fellow data journalist, Sarah Feldman. Hey. And Chris Jackson and Mallory Newell. Greetings. Hi there. Public opinion research leads at Ipsos. Over to you, Sarah, for a rundown of what's current this week. So we're going to be starting off with um, running down the big surprising poll we released with Reuters on Monday. Um, We have some interesting findings there about election legitimacy and what people believe and don't. And from there, we're going to dive into how people are feeling about infrastructure and gun reform and what the politics around these issues say about what people really want to see in the policy. But to start us off, um, we're going to go into what Americans think about the 2020 election. Um, Chris, you know, we're three months into the Biden presidency. Do some Americans still believe that 2020 election was illegitimate? Yeah. So uh, on on Monday, uh, Reuters released some polling we did with them about views of the election, the 2020 election. And it was it was very buzzy, got, you know, lots of tweets on, on, on the interwebs. Um, and people are like, you know, shocking or surprising that a majority of Republicans believe Biden's victory is a result of illegal voting or election rigging. But honestly, I'm shocked that people find that shocking. I mean, that's been essentially what uh, President Trump talked about for three months after the election. And then what Republicans have talked about really ever since then, whenever referencing back to the election. And there's a whole movement now of Republican state legislators to make voting more challenging in places, essentially because they think the election was stolen from them in 2020. So the idea that, oh, my God, a majority of Republicans think that their election was illegitimate is yeah, no duh. Like that's what they've been saying for six months. It's just uh, like, you know, I think this is a, a good example of people sort of not really listening to what's happening uh, in certain segments of the country and then being surprised when a poll comes out sort of showing that. So, so also, yeah, this- I'm glad you brought up the, the movement at the state level, Chris, right? Like if you watch what's happening in Georgia and watch what's happening in other places, you know, that is kind of the the result of these feelings and, you know, what this poll shows about a a certain segment of people in this country feeling that, you know, elections or the current, the recent election was illegitimate, right? Like these are direct actions that are Mm -hmm. a result of these sentiments. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a delightful amount of sort of circular reasoning that goes into it. Um, You know, the election happened, Donald Trump lost, uh, Republicans, including President Trump, started talking about how there's all this bad stuff happening, all this, you know, uh, fraud and everything else. And yet every time they actually brought something to court, it was thrown out or dismissed because there's no actual evidence there. It was just all innuendo. But then you had Republicans like Ted Cruz saying that, oh, people's concern about this fraud is a reason why we need to investigate it and take these steps, even though the reason people are concerned about the fraud is because they're talking about it in the first place. And now we're seeing Republicans uh, particularly Republicans and state legislators changing laws to prevent fraud that never happened in the first place. Um, 
right? And that's the reason they're giving for it. You know, now I think there's a whole other debate we can have about if that movement's actually about making a voting harder to essentially make it easier for Republicans to win elections. That's not really material for this particular podcast. Um, but, you know, we see that a majority of Republicans, 55 percent, believe that the 2020 election was uh, the result of illegal voting or election rigging. The interesting thing is that's actually down from where it was in early January. So the days right before the assault on the Capitol, 65% of American of Republicans thought that the election was a result of illegal voting or rigging, right? So it's actually not as bad as it was a couple <laughs> of months ago, um, despite, you know, majority of, of of Republicans still believing that. Um, and I think that really sort of speaks to uh, just sort of how much misinformation has been out there, particularly in sort of the conservative side about sort of election illegitimacy, which again, there's zero evidence of, um, you know, the few, there's like one proven case of an illegitimate vote where a person forged his daughter's signature on an absentee ballot because she wasn't able to do it herself. Like that's the only proven case of it. One person, one vote. Um, you know, not these like masses of things, but we see that in our data, right? Where um, there's, you know, lots of huge differences of opinion on sort of basic facts about things um, between Republicans really and everyone else. Um, for instance, you know, looking at uh, the 2020 election, 60% of Republicans believe the election was stolen from Trump. Um, compared to only 13% of Democrats and 24% of independents. Huge gap there, right? Uh, then looking sort of at what I just referenced, the January 6th assault on the Capitol, again, huge differences of view, right? Uh, only a quarter of Republicans believe Trump is at least partly to blame for starting the riot versus virtually all Democrats, 86%, and a majority of Americans, 58%. Um you know, in fact, most Republicans, 55 percent, believe the riots were actually led by left wing protesters trying to make Trump look bad. Essentially, this whole like it's a false flag Antifa thing, which, again, there's zero evidence of there's zero like actual proof about like there's, you know, it's just sort of these talking points that go around because it sort of reinforces a certain worldview. Uh people buy into it, right? And I think it ultimately, you know, really all sort of boils down to to President Trump. And I think it's most clearly encapsulated by the huge division in the question, former President Trump should not run for election in 2024. Um, 90%, 89% of Democrats say, yes, he should not run for uh, president 2024 versus only a quarter of Republicans, 28% of Republicans. So, you know, it's essentially a... Uh, 60 point difference between Republicans and Democrats on, you know, if Trump should be essentially the future of the Republican Party. That's so interesting, Chris. And another point, too, that was um, quite intriguing from the Reuters article where all of this data ran um, was coming came from a Republican operative who said that January 6th represented a moment for the party to perhaps change gears, kind of change the narrative um, and reject that incident at the Capitol. But given what we're seeing in this data, do you think that was ever a realistic possibility? Um, I, was it really up to the leaders to make that? I mean, I think that's 
That is a good question. And that's, of course, something that we'll never really know because it didn't really happen. Um, but, you know, what we do see in our survey data now is that the Republican Party, the Republican base right now remains very loyal to President Trump and generally speaking is much more favorable to those Republicans who are sort of following Trump's lead than those who are trying to chart a different path. So two of the Republican figures who were sort of most notable for their opposition to to Trump in the aftermath of the January 6th riots, Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader, and Mitt Romney, former Republican presidential candidate, are viewed favorably by less than half of Republicans, um, 45% for Romney, 38% for, or sorry, 38% for Romney, 45% for McConnell. So this is Romney, right? This was the Republican presidential candidate not all that long ago is liked by less than a third of the party that he once tried to lead. Um, and I think that's very much tied back to him taking positions somewhat hostile to Trump and particularly voting for impeachment. Um, and then you look sort of against, uh, look at that against several other Republican candidates like, or figures rather, like Ted Cruz, where 61% of Republicans have a favorable view of him or Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, 56%. Now they're not as well known, of course, um, but they have much more favorable views among the Republican base. And I think, again, that is because the Republican base is still looking for figures for Trump and figures like Trump who will put fighting sort of first and compromising anything else sort of second, you know, the, the, the Trumpism is really about the conflict first and foremost. And, and any, any figures, any Republicans who want to sort of lead the party need to sort of understand that that is sort of core of what the Republican party is looking for at this moment in time. Absolutely. And it's not just this kind of um, division and views and polarization is not just affecting how political leaders are seen, but also um, specific policy areas. So Mallory, I was wondering if you could speak to how that's affecting some of the proposals that Biden is pushing forward, especially around the American Jobs Plan Act. Yeah. Um, Kate, I'm glad that you brought up the American Jobs Plan, um, also known as the the broad, broadly speaking, infrastructure bill uh, that was released last week. So um, shortly after we shortly after the plan was released, we fielded a poll to measure American support for the infrastructure plan, both as a whole and in its various component parts. Um, overall, we see that a plurality of Americans but not a majority uh, support the jobs and infrastructure plan, also known as the American jobs plan. Um, you know, I think that what, what these numbers tell me kind of from an overall perspective is a couple things. One, um, it's important to note that more than a quarter of Americans, more than one in four said that they don't know whether they support or oppose the infrastructure plan. So that tells me that this is not really something that is top of mind for the American public. It's not a top tier issue in the same way that the, you know, COVID relief package and multiple stimulus bills were slash are. Um, but also, you know, 
when you ask about overall support for the infrastructure plan and mention that it was recently released by the Biden administration, we see huge partisan differences here, about a 50-point difference in support between Democrats and Republicans. And I think that that's just a really good example of the, the sort of partisan queuing that's at play here, right? You know, you mentioned that it's... Um, it's a plan that's released by the administration. So, you know, automatically Republicans sort of write it off and oppose the bill by a more than two to one margin. But what's interesting is when you actually break up the component parts of the bill asking about repairing or replacing our ports, railways, bridges, highways, um, investment in home-based care, access to high-speed internet, you know, these are proposals that get widespread uh, support by the American public, including among both Republicans and Democrats. You know, even some proposals that may seem, you know, sort of controversial, like increasing taxes on corporations to actually pay for some of these in infrastructure improvements, nearly two thirds of Americans support that plan. So what that tells me is that it really depends on how you are framing the issue. In our highly polarized, tribalized society right now, um, if you're just talking about a plan that, you know, is backed by the Biden administration or this happened, you know, in the Trump administration as well, partisans antenna goes up and immediately sends a signal to, oh, no, that's backed by the other team, so I'm against it. But when you kind of strip all of that away and you just ask about, you know, specific policies, we do see that there's some common ground. But like I said, at the end of the day, this this isn't really a top tier issue like COVID relief. And I think that's why we're seeing that support is a little bit lower, you know, not a majority, but just a mere plurality and why there's so many undecideds because you know, people don't really spend their their day to day thinking about um, infrastructure improvements that are needed on a broad scale in this country. Yeah, most people aren't policy wonks, that's for sure. And I think, you know, to circle back around to what you were saying uh, a little earlier, Mallory, about partisan queuing and just the whole weighing a top tier issue for versus a second tier issue and how that parses out among partisans. Um, it just sparked my memory. It just reminded me of that gun reform discussion we had um, when we were flying solo on our <laughs> on the podcast. Um, and I'm I'm just curious if you could kind of connect the dots for listeners and for us here about how the way we're seeing the infrastructure bill play out kind of is related to gun control and how people feel about that issue. Yeah, for sure. So um, for those that may not have caught our, um, our podcast, I think it was two weeks ago, Sarah and I did a really deep dive into a couple issues, gun control being one of them. Um, we released a poll with USA Today that showed that support for stricter gun laws in this country has declined slightly compared to um, 2018 and 2019. And the reason for that is because partisans are really moving further apart on gun control. You've got 
nine in 10 Democrats, you know, really staunchly supportive of stricter gun laws in this country. And Democrats haven't really moved at all on this issue. Now, two years ago, you had a majority of Republicans that also favored stricter gun laws. And now that has decreased by about 20 points. And basically, Republicans support for stricter gun laws has kind of fallen off the proverbial cliff. So I think ultimately what this means is when you look at gun control, you know, it, it's going to become a lot harder to pass legislation. Like um, it was easy already to do gun legislation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it should be, right? Like in theory, you look at this polling, you see strong support for background checks and stricter gun laws. But this is one, and Sarah and I kind of covered this, this is one area where public opinion data is sort of out of lockstep with what's actually going on in Washington from a legislative perspective. Um, but, you know, I think... That's that's maybe why we see Biden doing things like nominating a gun control advocate as the head of the ATF and sort of considering other options outside of legislation and outside of working with Congress, because, you know, this is now an issue that Republicans have sort of moved away on. We're not seeing bipartisan consensus. And again, it sort of speaks to same thing that I said with infrastructure, right? It goes back to the the deep partisan queuing that's happening. And the signal from Republican leaders has sort of trickled into the Republican, you know, rank and file consciousness of like, oh, we we don't support this anymore, right? And we're not in favor of stricter gun laws. So it it really becomes, I think, at the end of the day with gun control, it's less that the issue itself has changed, but the queuing from various party leaders has. Definitely. Yeah, it's difficult to distinguish, you know, policy positions from politics. The two are so intertwined in how the public absorbs and listens to that information. Um, Well, that was really informative and just, I think, gives a good overview of how all these second tier policy issues kind of play into where the public is, where the public wants to be and where maybe we can and cannot go. Um, So thanks for listening. Um, Tune in next week. We'll be tracking some of the larger questions we've discussed today. I'm Sarah Felsman and I am not on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kate. Not yet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Kate Morris and you can find me on Twitter at Callison Morris. I'm Chris Jackson. You can follow me at JCB Jackson. I'm Mallory Newell and I'm at Mallory Kate. That's Kate with a C. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Have a good one. <laughs>